This is episode 512 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. In reviewing some recent history, especially as it applies to what we're going through today as a nation and as a church, I'm reminded of a man named Martin Niemuller, who was born in 1892 and died in 1984. He was known as an anti-Nazi Lutheran pastor and German theologian, and he, along with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was the founder of the Confessing Church in 1933. And this church was formed as a reaction against the Protestant Reich Church or the German Evangelical Church's inclusion of the Aryan Paragraph, if you remember. Basically, the Aryan Paragraph said that they're going to remove all pastors that were unsympathetic to National Socialism in Nazi Germany. They were going to exclude any member of Jewish descent. They want to implement this racist Aryan paragraph churchwide. They were going to remove the entire Old Testament from the Christian religion because it talked too much about the Jews. And they were going to remove all non-German elements from religious services and adopt a more heroic or positive interpretation of Jesus, basically reinventing who he was, who was pro-Aryan and was portrayed as one who was battling mightily against corrupt Jewish influences. We all know what happened in World War II. We know what happened during the Holocaust. We know the millions of Jews that were killed. And right after that, in 1946, when the war was over and Dietrich Bonhoeffer had died, Martin Niemuller penned a small poem called They First Came. And here's what that poem says. You may have heard it before. First they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Martin Niemuller spent the rest of his life with regrets about what they didn't do to stop the onslaught that was taking place in Nazi Germany. In a speech to the Confessing Church in Frankfurt, Germany, on January 6, 1946, after the war is over, Niemuller confessed the following. I want you to listen to this very carefully. The people who were put into the camps then were communists. Who cared about them? We knew it. It was printed in the newspapers. Who raised their voice? Maybe the confessing church? We thought communists, those opponents of religion, those enemies of Christ, should I be my brother's keeper? Then they got rid of the sick, the so-called incurables. I remember a conversation I had with a person who claimed to be a Christian. He said, quote, perhaps it's right. These incurably sick people just cost the state money. They're a burden to themselves and to others. Isn't it best for all concerned that they are taken out of the middle of society? Only then did the church as such take note. Then we started talking until our voices were again silenced in public. Can we say we aren't guilty and responsible? The persecution of the Jews, the way we treated the occupied countries, or the things in Greece or in Poland or in Holland, they were written in the newspapers. I believe we, the confessing church Christians, have every reason to say, mea culpa, mea culpa, which means through my fault. We can talk ourselves out of it with the excuse that it would have cost me my head if I had spoken out. We preferred to keep silent. 
We are currently not without guilt or fault. And I ask myself again and again, what would have happened if in the year 1933 or 1934, there must have been a possibility if 14,000 Protestant pastors and all the Protestant communities in Germany had defended the truth until their deaths? If we had said back then, it is not right when Hermann Goring simply puts 100,000 communists in the concentration camps in order to let them to die. I can imagine that perhaps 30 to 40,000 Protestant Christians would have had their heads cut off. But I can also imagine that we would have rescued 30 to 40 million people because that is what is costing us now. Listen carefully. There is a cost for doing nothing a cost for doing nothing. I ask you to join us today as we look at what happens when we do nothing and allow evil to flourish as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. If you remember, we've been looking at how the church handled persecution, trials and tribulations, uh, oppressive governments, even death of uh, many of the saints back during the book of Acts to see if there's some truth that we can learn about how we should live. A couple weeks ago, we took one passage from 1 John and we tried to determine whether or not we actually believe what they believed in that passage. And that passage, of course, had to deal with um, the world and the things of the world and not loving those things. And the very last phrase had to do, he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you remember that? He who does the will of God rest, makes their home as united heart, mind, soul, and spirit forever with the Lord. And the question was, what is the will of God? And we dealt with his individual will, his specific will for you. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to college? What kind of job am I going to have? Those kind of things that we hyperventilate on versus his global will for everybody. And the point was, if we can't be obedient to his will for everyone, there's no way he's going to talk to us about being obedient to his specific will for us, because his specific will for you is just how he wants you to be obedient to his global will for everyone. And here were the five wills we find in scripture. This is not, I did not come up with this. This is a doctrinal, theological construct that's been around for centuries. The five wills of God, like the I am statements of Satan. Number one, God's will is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've spent months talking about how that takes place. Number two, to be sexually pure. And we talked about the word pornea. Pornea doesn't just mean an illicit physical relationship outside of marriage. It happens to mean something actually less than that. It, could be looking at porn or, or impure thoughts or something of that nature. So this will of God being sexually pure doesn't mean, well, I, you know, I fantasize about being in sexually impure, but I haven't actually done it. You're guilty. And so that's something that you can search on your own. Number three, it is God's will that you will suffer. You will suffer. We looked at the first Peter passage. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. In Nazi Germany at that time, uh, Martin Niemöller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of the people who decided to live godly in Christ and not just acquiesce to uh, the Nazi regime at that time suffered greatly. 
Corey Tin Boone, her whole family, taken away into concentration camps. Her father, Casper Tin Boone, dying on a gurney, being left for 10 days and nobody taking care of him in his 80s. People suffer. And it is God's will for us to suffer because we're light living in darkness. Number four, to always give thanks, even in the midst of suffering. We talked about that last week. And then we introduced this one. No way I could have done it justice last week. To submit to the authorities of man. Two major passages regarding that. There's the first Peter passage, and then there's the Romans 13 passage, which is even more direct and succinct about what our responsibility is to civil government, to our authorities, to our employers. Back then, if you're a slave, to your master. And so today we're going to be looking at this fifth one, and we're going to be answering some of the questions we just raised last week. Number five, the fifth one, to submit to government authorities. And here's some of the questions. How does this command relate to the COVID mandate and the coming passports, which are here now, that we're going to be dealing with? I mean, this is something new. This is something that's never happened in my lifetime, and I'm 66 years old, and all of a sudden it's happened with breakneck speed. How in the world does this passage relate to that? And then if this is a law, and by the way, it's not, this is just a mandate, but if this is a law, if it's an unjust law or a just law, and do I have a responsibility to keep just laws and not unjust laws? There's a, there's a whole segment of Christian ethics that deal with that that was birthed out of the Holocaust situation where good Germans would basically follow their commanders. And even in the Nuremberg trials, if you remember, their major defense was, I was just following orders. I was just being a good soldier, a good political official, a good Christian, just following orders. How, what's the difference between a just and an unjust law? And according to these two passages, does it even matter? I mean, is it up to me to determine what's right or wrong and to follow what's right and are I supposed to follow what's right and follow what's wrong and leave that question up to the authorities? Are there ever any exception to the blanket, and it is a blanket submission command for us to yield ourselves and submit ourselves to government authorities? And if there, is, uh, if there isn't a, uh, an exception, then does it apply to all cultures at all times, including Nazi Germany, including our country today, including our country tomorrow, including uh, in Rwanda and in Bosnia and during the Roman Empire and all the terrible things that man has put man through for the last two millennial? And if so, what happened here? In Acts chapter 2, or, or Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, we've got Peter and John defiantly refusing their authorities. As a matter of fact, I've asked you to read the first nine chapters in the book of Acts. Uh, and I know many of you have. You come across this. They're told not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. They said, we're not listening to you. We're going to do it anyway. Then when they brought him back in the second time, they flogged them. They beat them because of that. And they rejoiced that they suffered for the sake of Christ. I mean, were they wrong? Did they violate God's word by doing this? Or is there a principle here that we need to understand? And if there is a principle, what is it? What is it? And how, how do I determine whether or not following God's law violates following man's law? And, and, and how does that apply to the situations that we're facing right now? 
because we're living in very questionable times. I've been waiting, to be honest with you, for a reprieve. I've been waiting for, oh, I, I mean, it's like, it's like our government is, is like on this breakneck. We're just going to cram it down everybody's throat. We're going to vilify a certain segment of our population and make them less than full citizens because of a mandate or because of a jab or because of, of something else. And it's almost a worldwide kind of phenomenon. They're pushing and they're pushing and they're pushing and they're pushing. And every week it gets worse. Where's the reprieve? Can't we just take one week off, take a deep breath and go, oh, well, nothing happened this week. It hasn't happened yet. Since the first of the year, it's more and more and more and more. Double down, quadruple down. And why? Is there an agenda here we don't know about? Is there something we're missing? So let's look today at the two major passages that deal with submission to government and see exactly what it says and see how we need to align our life with it. The one here, 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 15, I just introduced last week. Therefore, oops, stop, stop. Can't even go any further until we figure out what the therefore is all about. You know, I don't want to take something out of context. If you're making a conclusion based on some sort of previous truth, we need to go back and look at the previous truth. And we find that in the, the two verses prior to that. Here's what he says. Watch the context of this. Beloved, we're talking to believers in Christ. I beg you, I urge you, I plead to you, not as citizens, but as sojourners and pilgrims, because that's who you are. You're in this world, you're not of this world. You're, this is not Christ's kingdom. Someday he will come and set up his kingdom, but this is not Christ's kingdom kingdom. This kingdom is the kingdom of the, the world. It's the kingdom of the enemy. It's the kingdom of Satan. So a sojourner, you're an alien. You're a temporary dweller. We're only here for a while because when we breathe our last and we enter into his kingdom, or if he returns and set up his kingdom, we enter into his kingdom. It's like someone who dwells in a foreign country and a pilgrim is a stranger or a visitor, like someone that's with a passport that you're just going through for a little while. I don't have voting rights when I go to Scotland or, or France or even to Israel. I'm, I'm just there as a, as, a, as a pilgrim. And so Peter is pleading to the Christians and telling them exactly who they are. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims that while you're on this earth, in this, as light and darkness, as salt on this earth, abstain from fleshly lust. Stop acting like the world. Don't do that and don't think like they think. Don't act like they think. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Remember the passage that started all this in 1 John? Because all of that's passing away. Don't uh, give in to fleshly lust. Abstain from them which wage war against your suke, against your soul. We've talked about this word. It's the seat of everything immaterial about you. It's your personality. It's your mind, your will, your volition, your affection, your, your passion. It's that wage war against what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you want to do versus what you shouldn't do, and, and what choice am I going to make? 
So if I don't do that, what should I do? Well, you should have your conduct honorable among, and the Gentiles, of course, back then was a euphemism for lost people, people that are not of the covenant. So don't think about, we're talking racially here. That's not what Peter's talking about because he's writing his letter to Jewish believers. Gentiles, which you Jewish believers considered not of the covenant. They're just nasty people. They're lost people. Have your conduct honorable among the lost people that you hang around. Why? Because when they, the lost people, say terrible things about you as an evildoer, well, they are cannibals. They had these feasts where they drink the blood of each other. They're, they're crooks and they're cheats and they're always arguing about stuff and they're always demanding their rights. No, don't be that way because it's not your world that you live in. That they, the Gentiles may by your good works, that they observe, glorify God in the day of his visitation. Key word there is may. Doesn't mean they will. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to live in this world like Christ lived in this world, not giving offense to anybody. Just It's like a husband and wife in a marriage relationship and the husband is lost and the wife is saved and the husband is browbeating the wife and the wife's job is not to fight back. I'm an independent woman. I can do what I want. No, her job is to just win him, assuming she does, by her chaste and meek demeanor. That's how we're supposed to act in this world. Oppression comes, terrible things come, and he basically says, here, and don't, don't run after fleshly lust, don't be like the world. Instead, keep your eyes focused on Christ and make your conduct be something that glorifies God. And in doing that, even the lost people out there won't be able to say anything bad about you because you're the most honest, you the, have the most integrity, that you lived a righteous life, that you love your wife and you spend time with your kids more than anybody else does. And even though they disagree with your God, they cannot deny the chastity in your behavior. That's the context that he's talking about. And then he gives them an example. Therefore, therefore, based on what I've just said, as with everything in life, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. To submit means to place oneself under in an orderly fashion. It's a military term. To tension, there we are. To, to submit myself to every, that's pos, that means all. That means each, every, uh, the, in totality, without exception. Every ordinance or everything man creates or everything man forms or everything that man founds, whether it's from the Supreme Court down to your local building ordinance, where if I build a deck and it's bigger than 10 by 10, I have to have the county come out and inspect it and pay a fee. Okay. It's part of life. It's part of the fallen world. My job's not to argue about that stuff. My job's just to rock on because my goal and vision is for the kingdom of God. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man because they're right? No, for the Lord's sake. Because our goal is bigger than changing government. And then he gives some examples. Well, what, what, what ordinance of man are you talking about? Well, we'll start with the king. And then the people the king sends out, the governors, so they're sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. This is God's model, his intention. And his intention is government is to punish those who do evil 
and to reward those who do good. The question that we're going to look at when we get to Romans 13 is what happens when our government does the opposite? What happens when our government punishes those who do good and rewards those who do evil? How do these verses line up with that? This is God's intention. Just like one man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. Yet, there's an exclusion. Man can't divorce his wife except for, and whatever that exclusion is, is a principle because what God intended has been perverted. And it works exactly the same way with the authorities we place ourselves up under. And these are the Christian ethical questions that we must come to grips with. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, well, I am doing good, that I may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, that they can't say anything evil about me because I'm doing good. And we're going to find out in just a minute, good by whose standards? God's or man's? And if they're the same, hallelujah, it's the way God designed it to be. But if they're flipped upside down, then we have a problem. Romans 13, verses 1 through 4, is even a more direct uh, admonition to submit to earthly governments that fulfills this fifth will of God. We didn't have a chance to look at this last week, but I want you to get the whole picture of this before we move on. First verse. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's pretty cut and dry. Every soul, every heart, mind, will, and volition, not body, if I'm submitting my body, but my heart's not there. No, everything that I, that's about me, I should submit to the government authorities. Why? Well, Peter says, for the Lord's sake, Paul says here, because God is sovereign. Because there's no authority except from God. And all authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let that sink in. Eight years of Barack Obama, if you didn't like him. Uh, this wonderful year that we've had of uh, almost year of um, democratic rule in Washington. Well, okay, that's, that's appointed by God, maybe for the judgment of America. Who knows? If you, were, if you hated Donald Trump, hey, we got four years of Donald Trump appointed by God. Adolf Hitler... Nero, Diocletian, verse stays the same, appointed by God. God is sovereign. So God, you can change it if you want, and, but you're, I'm just going to trust in you because Proverbs 21 says that the heart of the king, evil or good king, that you can manipulate any way you want like water. If you so choose. And if you choose not to, then there must be some other reason why? So to submit to the government authorities, because there is no government except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. For what purpose? Verse 2. Therefore, before we look at this, I want you to know that there's three words resist in the English here, but they're different words in the Greek. The first one means to exist like an army in a war in a battle. I'm going to exist, resist to the point of death. I'm going to gather my forces. We're going to overthrow the government. We're going to destroy everything. That's the first resist. The second two times, it's a different word for resist. And it simply means to stand against, 
both in deed and in word. Not violently, not a political overthrow. We're not talking about that in this verse. That's the first one. But the latter two that deal with us means to stand against, and it's talking about the ordinances of God. Here's what it says. Therefore, since God is sovereign regarding government authorities, whoever resists tries to overthrow the government. That authority resists the ordinance of God. One of the reasons why Dietrich Bonhoeffer was um, executed was not because of his preaching of the gospel. It was because he was complicit in the plot to assassinate Hitler. And in his mind, he had good reasons. In my mind, he had good reasons. But nevertheless, he was executed not because he was a pastor. He was executed because he was, um, uh, we would call a terrorist today. What the scripture says, though, that anyone who resists the God-ordained authority to overthrow it actually resists God's ordinance because he's the one that put it in there and bring those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves in a perfect world. This is the way God set it up. But sometimes government uh, exceeds their authority. Sometimes government perverts their authority. Sometimes government places themselves to the point of to worship me like it was during Daniel's time. What happens then? Verse 3. For rulers, the ones who are not to resist, are not a terror to good works. The word good here we're going to see several times. It means virtuous, upright, excellent, the best. Rulers are not a terror to those people who do godly, God-honoring things, loving your neighbor, supporting charities, giving, sacrificing. But they are a terror to evil. Watch this word. This word means wicked, vicious, or bad in heart and character. In God's original intention, Governmental rulers appointed by God who are doing their job the way they should be doing, that they're not, they're not a terror to, to good people, but they are to evil people. You wanna, you wanna, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Well, good. Then simply do good. Do honorable. And you will have praise from the same, which makes sense if you and I were governing, if a Christian were governing. It's just a good man we're governing. But what happens when the government says good is actually evil and evil is good? What happens then? What happens when our governing officials say that it's okay to abort a baby even when it's coming out of the birth canal and that you, you must pay for it with your tax dollars? And to stand against that is a hate crime. What is it to say that uh, as long as you preach, and I'm talking about my sphere here, as long as you preach those passages in the Bible that talk against God being creating male and female and not male and female and binary and non-binary and pansexual and 175 different flavors of that today, that somehow I am a hateful person when I'm just preaching the word of God, I need to change my message because it's offensive to somebody else. What happens when you are demanded by your government 
to violate your sincerely held moral and ethical and religious convictions. What happens when the government now becomes a terror to those who do good, upright, righteous, and they applaud and they exemplify and they raise up those that are wicked and vicious and bad at heart and character. What, what are we to do? What's our position on that? Last verse, verse four. I mean, this is how God intended government to be. For he, the ruler, the king, is a minister to you. The word minister here is diakonos. It's the word we get deacon from. It's someone who serves. It literally means someone who runs in the dust, working for somebody else. The government works for the people. God ordained the government to help make our lives easier, to help us out, to provide for the common defense, to secure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and all the things our government is founded upon. That's what God originally intended, and that's what our government here originally set out, to be your servant for you, for good, not for evil, for good. Same word, for uprightness, for integrity, purity. But if I do evil, I should be afraid. Yes, I should be. For he, the governor, does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister for us for good. He's an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's God's intention. Well, what happens when it flips? What happens when it's upside down? What happens when it's Nazi Germany? When all of a sudden the most evil in the world is deemed as good, and those people who continue to do good by God's standard come in conflict with the government. And then the government says, you have to obey. This passage says you have to. Yeah, but, but you don't understand. If, if I follow you and you do good, then I do good. But if I follow you and you do evil, then I'm doing evil, and God will not stand for that. What are we to do when God's minister compels us to do evil in the sight of God? You're in communist China. They have a population problem, allegedly. And so they simply make the rule that you can only have two children, two children. And uh, so therefore, you want to continue your name. And so you have two children, and both of them are girls. What do you do? You kill one, abort one, and then just wait until you have a boy, because that's just the way it is. And what happens, God forbid, if your birth control fails, and you find out that you're pregnant with your third child, that the government says you need to take that child and throw it in the Nile and let it drown? What do you do then? That's the law. That's what the government says. So God, if I'm supposed to follow this passage, then I guess I murder my unborn child. See the dilemma? Where does the church stand on this? What are we supposed to do with everything that's coming down our way? What happens when God's intention for government, I hope you can see his intention, is turned upside down where good is now evil and evil is now good? What are we supposed to do? And by the way, if good is deemed by our God-ordained authorities, and if evil is now declared as good, what, who do we follow? 
and how do we go about following it? And as Martin Niemuller would say, at what cost? At what cost? Well, I love the world too much. I love my job too much. I love my life too much. I, I love my, you know, my finances too much. I, I don't want to, if, if I do that, they're, they're going to kill me. Maybe. Martin Niemuller spent the rest of his life languishing over the fact that, yes, he may have died like Bonhoeffer did, but 30 million innocent people may have lived. Remember? What do we do? Here's the question. By the way, let me go ahead and tell you. Do you know what the Bible says about COVID vaccines and passports? Absolutely nothing. Not one thing. You can search it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. If you're a Catholic, you can even look in the Apocrypha. And the fact is, ain't nothing in there about vaccinations, ain't nothing in there about uh, COVID mandates and all that kind of stuff, nothing. But you know what the Bible says about standing up and protecting those people who are unable to protect themselves? Which could mean our children. It could mean our grandchildren. It could mean the unvaccinated today that are losing their jobs that are being placed as second-class citizens, that are going to be forbidden to fly or to, to possibly even buy and sell. Going to be fined, read something yesterday, coming out with a new mandate from OSHA, that if you lie and say that you are vaccinated, like uh, whoever the quarterback is for the uh, Green Bay, yes, if you lie like that, $10,000 fine, you're in jail. Really? And that's not even the law. That's just a rule. The Bible says tons of stuff about what our job is to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. One of the primary passages regarding that is Proverbs 24, 10 through 12. And as we read this passage together, this is a passage that has been used for the pro-life movement since the 70s. As we read this passage, I want you to think about, think about the five-year-old girl that is, un, is not allowed to go to any store or even in school or stuff of that nature in the city of San Francisco unless she takes some sort of vaccine that her parents or, or she doesn't want to take. By the way, if you remember, we were promised that kids five years old couldn't get the coronavirus. Do you remember? And we were promised that when this vaccine came out, we'd only have to take it once and we would be cured of the coronavirus. And the fact is that there'd be no more shutdowns, no more masks, no more anything because we had this vaccine. And then the vaccine came out and we took it because they told us it was okay. And then we had to take it again and again and a booster and a booster and a booster. And people are still having to wear a mask. Why should I, if I'm unvaccinated, wear a mask in front of Carol assuming Carol got the vaccine, and if she's totally vaccinated and I'm not, why do I and her have to wear it? What's the point of the vaccine? If we still have the social... So, and then we were told this, and we we're told this, and then we're told that the government does not have the legal authority to mandate vaccines for its citizens, which is true. So instead, they're going to twist the thumbs of business to do that. Look what it says. Think of these passages in view of unvaccinated people, or worse than that, your children, whose freedoms will be stripped away. Because when the government says, we can force you to do this with your body for the common good, all they have to do is move the goalpost and they'll limit your family size. All they gotta do is move the goalpost and they'll limit something else. 
If you faint, I'm weak, I'm slack, I'm limp, I'm just so tired in the day of adversity, the day of trouble, anguish, affliction, oppression. It's the reason why is your strength and your ability and your influence is small. I mean, if we're supposed to be lights of the world, we're supposed to be bold, but when all of a sudden the, the light of persecution comes our way, if we cower in the corner, it means our strength and our power and our faith is so limited because all we care about is us, how it's going to affect us. So what do we do when oppression and affliction and persecution and trouble and distress and anguish comes our way? You may not... Um, um, you may not think, well, you know, we live kind of in an isolated area here. We're down in North and South Carolina. Um, it's not that really that big a deal for now and until you lose your job. Well, God, what's your, what do you want us to do? When we see this happening, when we see freedoms taken away from our lives and soon for our children and our grandchildren, when we see people forced to do things, coerced, to do things, threatened to do things they don't want to do. What's our position as a believer in Christ? Especially when our government authorities are now calling what is evil good and good evil. What do we do? The next verse says this, you have a responsibility to deliver those who are drawn towards death. Look at these words. To deliver means to rescue to free from harm or evil, to snatch away from, no, 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 come. Not gonna let that happen to you. Stand behind me, I'll take. They gotta get through me before they can get through you. Deliver those who are drawn. We think of drawn in the English as kind of like, you know, the force or something. Drawn means to grasp, take, or seize for an outside force. It's almost like I'm walking down the road with my grandkids and someone comes up and they grabs one of my kids. They grab Marley by the arm. Ow, that hurts. And they start pulling her into a building, seized by some outside force. They grasp her. They're taking her. What would I do? Bring her back. I don't want to get involved. That's, that's what the word means here. They were to deliver those who were drawn, seized, taken, grasped from an outside force unto death and hold back to restrain, to keep one from doing something. No, no, no. Though stumbling to the slaughter. Stumbling means someone who's not stable, someone who just doesn't understand, someone who, who kind of staggers like they're drunk, someone whose resolve is wavering. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what I should do. You know, I worked really hard for this job and now I'm going to have to get this vaccine and, and I, you know, I, I'm running a small business and they're threatened to, to, to penalize me. I, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what is happening. Do you realize that if you live in North Carolina, you're under a different rule than if you live in South Carolina. And if you go to Florida, those rules don't even apply because none of this stuff is signed into law. And there are literally thousands of lawsuits, thousands of lawsuits that are going to clog up the court system, who knows, for years until the final Supreme Court rules on some of this stuff. Some of the largest institutions now are filing lawsuits. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, many universities, major trucking companies. No, no, 
No, In-N-Out Burger in California decided to shut down multiple locations because they were fined for not standing at the door and checking everybody that came in to make sure that you have a vaccination card. They said it's not our job as a fast food restaurant to police the government for you. And they decided to move out of the state. Texas and Florida are saying, please, come our way. This is what, this is what it means to stand for someone else. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. But I can't. I can't because I'm afraid. Because what if I lose my friends? I mean, what if I lose my job? I mean, maybe I should wait. I had a conversation with a trucker this week. Oh, my gosh. Hey, you know what? Uh, my company's decided that, that we're all going to have to get vaccinated, and you know, I really don't want to, but I guess I'm going to have to do it to keep my job. Well, why don't you tell them no and go get another job? Well, no, I can't do that. Maybe if somebody else will stand up, if, you know, all those guys, oh, we're meeting at Bunker Hill right now because the British are coming. Will I join you? No, I'll tell you what, I'll show up tomorrow if you guys make it okay today. That's what heroes are made from, correct? I don't know what to do. Plus, you know what, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I, Fauci is a really good man, and you can really trust our government. It's really not that bad. After all, it's just a jab. It's just a, just a little jab, and they made all these promises. Yeah, it's a jab, coerced via a mandate from a single man, one man. We don't, rule, we don't live under a king has not been passed by law by Congress, has not been deemed constitutional by the Supreme Court, and is now required for children Maddie's age. Maddie's age. Do you know what's in it? Some people don't want to take it because they're afraid of the side effects, and there are immense side effects. Maybe it doesn't affect you, but it affects some people. Some people just don't want to do it. You want to get the jab? Take the jab. You don't want to get the jab? Don't take the jab. But we need to stand up for the persecuted class here. And it's not those people who have said, I'll take the jab for whatever reason. It's those people for whatever reason have chosen not to. They're becoming the Jews in Nazi Germany. So what do we do? Won't God understand if I just say silent, like Martin Niemuller? Can't I just go on with my life after all? I have a family to support, a business to run. I have responsibilities, got bills to pay. I have so much to lose. And like everybody else doesn't? Like you're the only one that doesn't? And surely God doesn't require this of me. I mean, maybe it's really not all that bad. If you don't think so, then this is a value judgment on my part. This is I'm stepping aside from the pulpit, giving you my opinion. If you don't think so, you ain't done your homework. You have not done your homework. Karen talked to some of her cousins, you know, well, you know, they, they, you know, they told me when I needed to get a flu shot, so I did. They told me when I needed to get a jab, so I did. And you know, I just never questioned it. Okay. Do your homework. Make your own decisions. And whatever your decision is, I, as a believer in Christ, will support you to the death. You want to get a jab? I'm all for you. That's your right. You want to not get a jab? I'm all for you. That's your right. But when a man and his political power coerces you or me to do something that violates our conscience and drags innocent people into terrible situations, we can't let that continue. 
Here's the last verse, Proverbs 24. We're going to look at the first part. The first part deals with an excuse. The second part, God gives his answer. Here's the excuse. If you say, surely we did not know this. We didn't know it was all that bad. We didn't know what the government was going to do. We didn't know any of that. Martin Niemuller said they knew it from the newspapers. You can, you can see it on the news what's going on, unless you listen to CNN or MSNBC, and that's a far deeper issue, but we can deal with that at another time. The fact is, you should know. The word here, yada, in the Hebrew is the same word translated gnosko in the Greek. We know. I've had friends that have lost their jobs. Krista has worried about whether or not they're going to accept her religious exemption. What the hospital has chosen to do is they're just not going to rule on that for a while. She thinks comes January, they're, going to, they're hiring other vaccinated nurses as fast as possible. When they no longer need her, they're going to jettison a single mother of six to the road where she'll be unable to get a job in her chosen field of health care because she's been coerced, not by a law, but coerced by a mandate and intimidation for the place she works. Is that right? Here's the answer. Does he, God, not weigh the heart to consider it? Does God not know what your motivations really are on the inside? Does he not examine your moral evaluation and realize the reason why that you're not willing to take a stand is because it's going to cost you something? And it does. It will. Second half of this verse, continuing the answer and then a promise. Here's the answer. He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? Does he not know what you're really like on the inside? Does he not know how he's spoken to you and encouraged you and told you the right thing to do? But you're struggling with, I know it's just going to cost me too much and I really don't want to do that. And I, you know, people are going to look funny at me. And, and they're just those people. They sent the communists to the concentration camp for 100,000 of them to die. And we said nothing. Oh, we tried to raise our voice and they told us we couldn't anymore. So we just got quiet, met in our little holy huddles and prayed for those people out there until they become your family until they become your friends, till it becomes you. Here's the promise. And he, God, will he not render to each man according to his deeds? There's no excuse for not knowing. And God will hold us accountable for what we have done in his name. Now let me draw this to a close. I'm not going to have time to look at these. If you'll go through scripture, you'll find many of our heroes are heroes that chose to go contrary to their prevailing government. For example, the Hebrew midwives. Pharaoh gives a decree. All the babies that are born, you, the Jews are becoming too many. You will throw the male ones into the, the uh, river and they will drown. And they chose not to. And if you read Exodus uh, the, the first couple of chapters of Exodus, you'll find that God blessed these Hebrew midwives. That, that, was, that was a violation of the law. Rahab lied. You know, the, were you hiding the, uh, the uh, spies? No, I'm not. Don't know anything about it. And yet God honored her. She is included in this roll call of people in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We've got Saul and Jonathan and the people. Saul makes some rule. Nobody can eat until this battle's won. Here comes Jonathan walking up. He didn't hear the rule with a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of honey. And Saul says, kill my son for violating my decree. And the people said, no, 
That's a ridiculous rule. We're not going to let you do it. We found Obadiah and Jezebel hiding people from Jezebel, hiding a hundred of God's people at the point of death because it was the right thing to do. We've got Joash, of course, was to be a future king, and his, the king's mother prior to that was murdering all the descendants, and, and Jehosheba you know, hid him for him to have his rightful position. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will not bow to your idol. We will not do what you say. Well, who will rescue you from my hands? I don't care. I don't care. If God rescues us, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But you know, king, that what you're doing is evil, and we believe in what is good. Peter and John, we've already looked at those passages. And all the Christians who died, died during the tribulation period, who gave their faith, probably a lot of them Jews, to Christ, when the Antichrist demands, demands, that you will worship the image of the beast, they said no, even to the point of death. These are heroes because they, to great sacrifice to themselves, decided to do what was right. Which brings us to our options. When it comes to civil disobedience, there's basically three categories. The first one is the anarchist. This is your Antifa. This is your Antifa people. An anarchist says, I don't have to follow anybody's rule ever. I can do whatever I want. Okay. Second group is what we call an extreme patriot. Oh, I'm just following orders. Whatever they tell me to do, I have to do. I have no conscience of my own. I have to just follow it explicitly. There are no principles involved here. This is exactly what they did in Nazi Germany. It's exactly what their defense was during the Nuremberg trials. You can't hold me guilty for murdering 100,000 Jews because I was just following orders. Just following orders. They totally rejected that. The proper position is the position of Scripture, the biblical position. And here's what it says. The position of Scripture upholds. The Scripture upholds is one of biblical submission. We are to submit to the authorities of God, with a Christian being allowed to act in civil disobedience to the government if the government commands evil or if it requires a Christian to act contrary to the teachings of the Word of God. And then we have not only a requirement, but a duty, a duty to do something. Now, I don't know where you fall on this position. I don't know if you're pro-vax or anti-vax, if that's your reason for not getting the vaccination. I don't care if you've already had it. I don't care, I don't care any of that. But when you come to grips and understand what's happening to our nation right now, and that the freedoms that we're giving away, giving away, because you wanted to keep your $12 an hour job or your $20 an hour. You gave them away. And people all throughout our history have been willing to die for, to die for, because they thought it was important enough for me and my children and my grandchildren to have at least the freedom that they have. We have to do something. Because if you remember the classic quote by Edmund Burke, he said this, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And by the way, in case you're interested, by definition, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the good men. We are the good people because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We're to be the light of the world and the salt in this earth. And that involves some sort of confrontation. So it can't be about us anymore. It has to be about 
um, something greater than us for the good of others, to those that are being seized and drawn away into a situation where they have no control to snatch those out from the burning embers. Because, as Niemuller said, first they came for the socialists. And uh, I didn't say anything because I wasn't a socialist. That was their business. It was their fault. They, they handled themselves. Then they turned around since there was no blowback and they came for the trade unionists. And none of us said anything because we weren't a trade unionist and we didn't agree with their position. And then when they were subjugated, they came for the Jews. Horrifically came for the Jews. And we said nothing as we saw the smoke from the chambers where they're burning their corpses in Germany. We said nothing because we weren't a Jew. And eventually they came for us. And there was nobody left to stand up for us. You know, in the New Testament, when one person suffered, they all rallied around and they all suffered. When one person in the body rejoiced, they all rejoiced. Today, we're nothing but a bunch of independent contractors that kind of go our own way. Wouldn't it be wonderful, and I'll just use the military for example, wouldn't it be wonderful that if the bonds in the military were so great that when this soldier who shares a foxhole and puts his life in the hand of this soldier gets a mandate from a one man who's not even determined whether it's law or not and it's passed down that he decides I'm going to get drummed out of the service because I refuse to have a vaccination. This guy has no problems with the vaccination and is already vaxxed. And he says, no, if you leave, I'm leaving because I support your freedom that much. Imagine what would happen if that happened in business, if that happened in the school system. I don't have a problem with the vaccination. I'm fully vaxxed. Here's my card. But I will not have you trample on this person's rights. If they leave, I leave. If that happened, life would change regarding this in business in America. But we have to care more about others than we do ourselves. See the point? We're at a crossroads in our nation, a crossroads as believers in Christ. And I pray that you will ask the Lord to give you clear direction on what he would have you do, because the persecuted class of believers, or the persecuted class in our nation right now, is not a racial minority. It is those that are unvaccinated. And very soon, they're going to be stripped of their civil rights their ability to congregate, maybe an ability to come to church like this, their ability to, to hold down jobs, to take care of their families. And that is wrong. And that can't be. And all that is necessary for evil like that to flourish is for you and I who know better to do nothing. So pray and ask the Lord to give you wisdom on what you need to do. Amen? Let me pray.